For the rest of you, I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, you're going to find our text today on page 1037. Again, it's page 1037. Last week, we started just a short series entitled Standing on the Promises of have an opportunity here for just a few weeks before I leave for Rwanda to spend some time looking at the promises of God. And, and much of the, the spirit of this series was we, we spent a lot of time um, through the fall looking at, at a lot of, of weighty things for us to be about as God's children. You know, we looked at how God wants to change the world through us and through His church and, and how we are supposed to live with, our, with, with the end in mind and how it impacts our lives. And, and in many ways, it was just more and more and more and more load going upon us. And so as we turned the corner into the new year, I, I, I really felt a, just a real desire to, as the, as the weight on us grows, to kind of shore up the foundation under us that we really understand the promises that God has given us that really are supposed to be the means by which we live our lives, the hope by which we live our lives, and that those promises are supposed to strengthen us. They are the pillars, if you will, that hold up all that God is looking to include us in and to do through us and in us. And, and uh, last week we looked at a great promise, you know, from Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, and you know, we, we recognize that that doesn't mean that, that we can just kind of pray a prayer and, and then we can do whatever. You know, it doesn't mean that we can lift up a tank with our right arm. As I said to the college students, it doesn't mean that you can skip class all semester long, not do any of the work, and then just stay up all night the night before the final and pray, 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 and you're going to get an A. Just, it, that's not what it means. But what it does mean is that every single thing that God has asked us to do, He strengthens us to be able to do. There's not a single command, not a single instruction that God's given us that He hasn't equipped us in Christ, to fulfill. That's a great promise, isn't it? Now, this morning's focus is supposed to also be a great encouragement. And it comes this way in verses 14 and 15 of 1 John 5. It said, Now this is the confidence we have before Him. Whenever we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for. Wow. The contemporary English version puts it this way. We are certain that God will hear our prayers when we ask for what pleases Him. And if we know that God listens when we pray, we are sure that our prayers have already been answered. That's great encouragement. Why was I so discouraged earlier this week when I was studying this promise? You know, I, I, you, you read this and you say, okay, if, if I pray and what, I'm pr- and what I'm asking for is in accord with God's will, God hears it, He hears it favorably, and He gives it right away. Because the, the, the tense of we have there is present tense. That it happens automatically. And I'm thinking to myself, how often does it happen in my prayer? I mean, if, I, if, if you were going to look at kind of batting averages for prayer life, I mean, I'm not even sure I can make the high school team, let alone get a Division I scholarship. I mean, you know, just not enough of my prayer requests actually kind of come through. Do you know what I mean? I mean? How many of you are batting 100 on your prayer stuff? In the 90s? You know, and it's kind of discouraging, isn't it? I mean, and, and some of it's bewildering. And what I mean by that is, you know, you've you got a family member, maybe a brother or a sister or whatever, and, and their marriage is falling apart. And you're praying for God just to restore that marriage. And you're thinking, man, that's got to be consistent with God's will, right? And then they get divorced. I remember praying for a, a, a couple, I mean, became leaders in the church plant down in, in, in Hanover. And, and God used them in great ways as we were building the congregation. And, and after I left, they, they got divorced. And, and, and I remember praying for them passionately, just fervently, that God would restore their marriage and reconcile and glorify himself to all of that. And they both landed up married to other people. You say, what's up with that? You know, or, or, 
we have a loved one that we've been praying to come to know Christ. Certainly, people getting saved has got to be consistent with what God wants, right? For people to recognize how God can be an impact in their lives and how eternal life is given and all. That's got to be pleasing to God, right? And I've been praying for this person for, for months and for years, and they just seem to be getting further away, not any closer. And then we read, whatever we ask according to his will, we have it already. And what's up with that? We get a little discouraged, right? You know, or we're praying for somebody who's really ill, especially when it's a small child. You know, when you get a four or five or a six-year-old who got cancer or a brain tumor or something else, and we're praying, and and, and certainly healing that child, it's, it's, it's got to be a miraculous and glorifying thing to God, and they don't make it. And so, you know, I'm I'm running the tapes of my own prayer life, and, and, I, and I'm thinking about the generalities of prayer, and I'm thinking, this is a discouraging promise, because I must not have any idea on how to pray in accordance with God's will. You know, but that's not the intent of this promise at all. It's not designed to discourage us. It's supposed to inspire us. It's, it's supposed to encourage us. You know, it's supposed to be the foundation that motivates us to pray at all times. So I want us to spend a few minutes just digging through this promise. And, and I'm going to do something I, I do occasionally, but, but not all the time. I literally just want, kind of want to go almost word by word through this, certainly looking at the bigger word, and to kind of pull out the meaning for us. And so I really encourage you to kind of keep your Bibles open and keep your finger kind of stuck in there. And, and, and let's, let's just start with verse 14 and work through, work through 14 and 15. And, then, and, and let's first of all look at the promise that God makes to us. Now, verse 14 starts with the word now in the Holman Christian Standard Bible. In other translations, you might have the word and. And I'm really pointing back to verse 13, where he says that I've, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the, of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's been his objective throughout the book. It says, now that that objective is in our rearview mirror, I've already written to you about how it is that you can know that you have eternal life. It's yours, it's here, it's now, it's active, it's never going to end. Now, because that's true, this is the confidence we have before him. Now this word confidence, um, you know, in, in, in the original language, in the ways it was used in, in Paul's day, it actually could have the idea of just freedom of speech. That you just, you know, you just, you talk freely. You know, many of us, we're around somebody we don't know, or somebody maybe who is more important to us. Remember when you were a kid and you got sent to the principal's office, all of a sudden, you know, you, you really watched what you said, but when you were out in the playground with all of your friends, you spoke with confidence. You spoke freely. Just whatever was on your mind, whatever was on your heart, that's what you talked about, you know? He, it kind of morphed into the idea that it could not only have this idea of just being at ease so you, that you talked freely, you could also have the idea of having, being, um, if you will, uh, the idea of boldness, the idea of certainty with it. You know, uh, uh, you know it's, it's these, the whole idea is that as, 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 we, as, as we call out to God, we, 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 we can be confident. We can just speak our minds and our hearts, and we know that God's listening to us, and he's going to respond to us, and, and we can do it with boldness. I, I, I can remember a time, I told us in the first service, you know, where, you know, um, part of my objective with the boys was I always wanted to teach my two boys how to work. Some of that because I didn't want to do all the work myself, and I wanted them to do some of it, but some of them need to learn a work ethic as well. So from, from really from pretty early on, I made them do things around the house. And, and one of those was, um, you know, they, they were like 9, 10, 11, somewhere in there. I made them start cutting the grass, you know. And, and we had a craftsman tractor. It had one of those things where if you got off the seat, it just turned itself off. So it was relatively safe. I mean, if they fell off of it, the motor was going to go off eventually, and they wouldn't get chewed up too bad. So I figured they'd live. And, you know, so we, we put the kids in the tractor. So I, I just... One of these days, that, that one of the boys is out back, and he's cutting the grass in the backyard, and I'm doing some stuff out in the front of the house, you know, and, um, and, and 
like most kids, they were trying to cut some corners. And the corner he was trying to cut was he didn't want to have to use a push mower to do underneath the swing set. So he was driving the tractor through the swing set. You know, so I get, I'm out in the front yard and I hear this yell, you know, and it's got this urgent tone to it. Dad! You know, and, and you can just tell sometimes that something's really wrong, you know. And, and they were confident that they didn't have to say anything else. They didn't have to say, Dad, come here. And they just knew all in the cold. Dad, you know. And so I come running around the corner. I wish it had been in the days when cell phones had great cameras on them. Because this is back before that day. You didn't really care. And I come around the corner of the house and sitting on the tractor. And the swing had caught the steering wheel. And the tractor was in a wheelie, you know. <laughs> and the wheels were going like this so it wouldn't go backwards. It was going forward. And, this, <laughs> and I just couldn't, I just couldn't help but laughing. But, you know. When we, when we cry out to God, you know, we, we have that sense of confidence that God's going to come running, you know? Now, now it says before Him. Now, this is the confidence we have before Him. Now, here, here's something I want you to get about prayer. In order to pray in accordance with this promise, you have to come into the presence of God. Now, think about that. You have to come into the presence of God. There has to be a change of, of posture, if you will, of life posture, because you know you're coming into the presence of the Holy One. You know, you... You, you have to just, it, it's almost, sometimes, you know, I think that we treat prayer a lot like a vending machine, you know? I mean, so we're not really coming into the presence of God. We just know, hey, if we pray, and so we, I'll put my three prayers in, and the light goes off, so now I can just press B9, and whatever I want is going to come rolling out of that drop down. And we just think it's some kind of a transaction, something to check off of our to-do list. It's not the way it works. Prayer has to be before Him. It's a moment where, where we, act, we enter into a sacred moment. And we make connection with God. And for many of us, prayer is, is, an, is a duty. It's really not an act of worship. And a prayer to meet the qualifications of this promise has to be before Him. Now this is the confidence we have before Him. Whenever we ask, doesn't that bring out the imagery of John, James 4? You have not because you ask not. It's interesting, I think, a lot of the good things that come in our lives that God's the source of are things that just come whether we ask for them or not. And we've just stopped asking for them. Just kind of like, you know, when you have a preschooler, whether they, they ask to eat lunch or not, you're going to make them lunch and plop them down there and make sure they eat enough of it that they're going to grow up to be reasonably healthy so they can move out and never come back. I mean, you just, you just understand. You have all of this in the, in the back of your mind. And, and they don't have to ask for lunch. You just give it to them. Well, God's the same way. But he says that we need to ask for it. Now, part of that is because we need to, in our asking, we acknowledge who is the giver of the gifts. The source of all that's good is coming from God. And, and that's a healthy thing for us spiritually. To say. But there's also a lot of things that if we don't ask for them, we're not going to have them. You know, and, and it's easy to get energized about praying for ourselves or others who are sick or people who are in crisis or if they lost a job or whatever. But, but it's a whole lot harder for us to stay diligent about asking to grow spiritually, to be able to share our faith or to be able to understand the word more deeply, those kinds of things. And, and the truth of James really comes out in that. When we don't ask for those things, we generally don't experience those things. So we have to ask. And not just the things that we know are immediately necessary, but the things that really add eternal value to our lives. We have to ask. Now here he goes on to say that, now this is the confidence we have before him. Whenever we ask according to his will, he hears us. Prayer, our prayers, are heard by the Father. They, they don't get stuck in an in-basket on God's desk and someday he'll get to them. They're not at the bottom of the list that we're trying to flag on our email list to make sure we get back and deal with that one that we forgot about. But he hears them immediately. He listens to them. And the whole idea here is that he not only hears, but he responds and he responds favorably. For an illustration, 
Some of you sitting here, you have little ones that are in the nursery. If your kid was screaming at the top of their lungs right now, you'd be able to pick out your kid's cry over anybody else's, right? And if you'd be interpreted and say, well, that cry means something, you'd be up out of your seat and you'd be headed that way. You've heard it. When we pray, God hears and he responds. It's a powerful imagery for us, intended to create encouragement. Let me just run a little bit further here into verse 15. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, We know that we have what we have asked for. Now, what's interesting about this word have is that it's in the present tense, verbiage-wise, in in terms of its tense as as a verb. And what that means is that we ask it, God hears it, God's answered it, and it's over. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to pray about things over and over again. That's not what it's saying. But it's not like God says, well, you know, I'm not ready to answer that. I'll put it down the road a little bit. When we ask it, we have it. Now, this is not a name it, claim it kind of thing, but we have it. When we pray and we're asking God for things that are in accord with his will, we should be able to get up off of our knees and say, that's already mine. Now, for God, as he delivers, when we come to experience that promise, it may be off into the future, but it's already happened. Let's a couple of biblical examples. What about Abraham? What did God say to Abraham? I'm going to give you a child. How long did it take to have that child? 25 years. The moment God gave the promise, he had the child. He just hadn't experienced the kid yet, the sleepless nights. <laughs> God made a promise of a Messiah. How long did that take? Centuries, right? When Jesus left the planet, he looked at his disciples and he, what did he say? I'm coming back. It's a promise. How long has that been? A couple thousand years? Doesn't mean that we don't have it already. You and I already have the final resurrection at the return of Jesus Christ. It's already ours. We have it already. <laughs> wow. I don't want you to miss in verse 15 these, this idea where he says, and if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask for him for this might be actually the biggest aspect of the promise this idea of knowing is is a is a very prominent and a very powerful biblical truth it means that that as we pray we we know that we're accepted we're embraced we're appreciated and supported and we're approved and we're right before god we know that we're in relationship with god and there's no reason to doubt that or to question it, but simply to bask in it and to grow in it and move forward. I mean, it's a powerful thing. One of the best things about the impact of prayer is that we know that God hears us and he's responding to us and answering our prayers. I mean, it's a tremendous thing to know that you are in relationship with God. You know, I I think there's a, a lot of you know, it's so hard to illustrate some of this, but again, you know, I can remember times with, with our boys where they were asking to do certain things and we, we were not allowing them to do that. And it would land, it would, it would land, start out with arguments and in mo- some of the cases it would turn into long dialogues. I mean, such as, such that Christina would go off the bed and I'd still be there, you know. And, and why do you go through all that? I mean, there were certainly moments we said, listen, I said so, that's it, get out of my face if you ever want to drive again. You know, there were times when I responded like that, you know. But there are other times when you really want them to understand your heart. You want you, them to know why you're, why you're making the decision. And you go through all the labor. God says, that's what you get to do with God. I want you to know my heart, you know, and, and I don't want you to have any doubt about it. I want it to shape who you are and how you build your future. And, and you know, it's just a wonderful reality. I, mean, I, I think about my journey with, with Christina. We've been married a little over 27 years. And, you know, I, I, I just know when I launch a day that I can trust her, that she cares about me, that she's going to do the things that she's promised to do. And the list just kind of goes on and on. And it's just this wonderful, freeing kind of thing. I suspect that she feels the same way about me. And it just has this tremendous impact on your relationship. God says, I want you to know like that. Now, 
So we have this great promise. Whatever we ask in the name of God, we have already. Well, what about this condition about asking in the name of God? Or asking according to the will of God? A number of commentators want to get into the whole discussion and journey about what aspect of the will of God are we really talking about here. And, you know, are we talking about the decreed or the declared will of God? And that's the stuff that God said, this is going to happen and and it's just going to happen. When he said, I'm going to flood the earth and destroy everything that's living on it, except for the the, the animals and, and the family that's floating in the ark. God declared it, and that's what it was, and it happened. Or are we talking about the, the will of God that, that reflects the desire of God? Because God doesn't always implement His desire. I don't believe it was God's desire for Adam and Eve to sin in the garden. His desire was to live in a relationship with Adam and Eve, and through them, all of us. But God, even though that was God's desire, something else happened. You can get all into this discussion. I, I think in many ways that misses all the whole point. You see, I think we often misunderstand the role of prayer in our lives. And because of that, we, we miss out a lot on, on the dynamics of what's being almost in some ways being promised here. Certainly, this says we need to be asking for things that God says, yes, this fits in my kingdom. It fits according to my glory. It's in accordance with my truth. But there are many things we pray for that fit into that category that God doesn't seem to answer. We pray for somebody to come to know Christ. They go through their journey and their life ends in this earth and there's no, no indication at all that they ever came to know Christ. Well, that was certainly consistent with the purposes of God. Why didn't God... And we wrestle with... You know, I think a lot of this is that the whole, the whole value of prayer is not that it's somehow it's a device that we can use to bend God's will towards ours or somehow or another we can box God into a corner saying, as long as I put enough prayers in the slot, if I press B9, he has to give me that Milky Way bar. He doesn't have any choice. It's, it's not to somehow subordinate God's will to us, but it's actually prayer is a mechanism by which God fulfills the conditions for answered prayer in our lives. It aligns our hearts with His. You see, the Scripture lays out a lot of conditions for answered prayer. Here, you have to ask according to the will of God. You go over to Matthew, and and he talks about having to believe. Whatever you ask for and you believe, you have it already in Matthew chapter 21. In John 14, 14, again, Jesus is seen teaching, says, whatever you ask in my name, you will have. Then later he says, you know, if in chapter 15, it says, if you remain in me and my words remain in, in you, ask whatever you will and it'll be given to you. And then even in John, the first John, this, the gospel, the, the epistle we've been reading this morning, in chapter 3, he says, you know, we, essentially he says in verse 21 of, of chapter 3, we have whatever we ask as long as we're doing what God's told us to do, if we're being obedient to God's command. There's all these conditions on prayer. Guess how those conditions actually get shaped up so we can meet them in our lives? By praying. It's in the, the interaction of prayer that God shapes our hearts so we're actually capable of praying according to His will. Where we actually can pray in the name of Christ for things that are on the heart and the mind and the purposes of Christ. That we can actually pray and really believe that those are going to be answered. That we can actually, we pray and it shapes our hearts so that we actually are in obedience to what we've been commanded. And the list just kind of goes on and on. The condition is there because it is the practice of prayer and the potential of prayer that actually leads us to, to become the people who fulfill that potential in our lives. You see, I think a lot of this is that God has, has given us this great promise about prayer so that you and I are actually inspired enough to pray enough 
that we actually can pray in accordance with his will and to see the answered prayer in our lives. It's a, it's a, um, it's a powerful promise. So rather than this promise being designed to discourage us, this promise is designed to inspire us. Man, if I'll just pray enough and, and, and keep praying and practice prayer in my life and engage in, in being in the presence of God and asking, and, and God's going to shape me such a way that I'm going to be able to pray in accordance with His will, and boy, I'm going to have what I ask for. God's going to shape my heart enough that I'm actually going to be praying in the name of Christ and the character of Christ, and, and I'm going to have what I ask for. I'm going to be able to pray, and I'm actually going to believe that God's going to give it. I'm not going to have to keep those prayer requests to myself because I'm not sure they're ever going to come true, you know. But I can believe it and proclaim it. And the list, it's designed to inspire us. That's why my conclusion here, the potential of prayer should inspire us to elevate its role in our lives and heighten our diligence in meeting all of its biblical conditions. Rather than being discouraged, you and I should be inspired to pray because by prayer we meet the conditions of prayer. And we experience the promise in our lives. That's why I think Jesus taught a parable in Luke chapter 18. And he began that parable saying, I'm going to tell you a parable so that you'll pray always and not be discouraged. Pray always. Don't be discouraged. Because prayer will make you into a person who experiences the great promise of answered prayer. Let's pray together for just a minute. God, thanks for your teaching today. God, I'm not sure I've come across very many believers in my journey who haven't said, boy, I pray, but I really could use to grow and develop my prayer life probably true of us here this morning. I know it's true of me. God, I pray that through this great promise that you'll shape us to be people who experience the promise in our lives. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.